Welcome to the Wolf Brothers podcast. Today we have Owen Connaughton of the Gaelic Woodland Project. Owen, I met you, or I heard of you first. It was actually, I think it was Santiago, our friend Santiago, that mentioned you to me first, because I was just after meeting him, myself and Cormac, another brother of ours, Sean, and a few other lads, were after doing the Four Peaks, which by that I mean the highest peak in each province. We had attempted to do that in 24 hours, and then I found out from Santiago that we had done that on the same weekend as you and your brothers. And another reason that that was such a synchronicity was I had been reaching out to different people at the time wanting to do something in regards to planting trees. Because that came up for me in a plant medicine journey, how uh, beneficial it would be for the land to plant more native trees. And then I hear that you, like that is your main mission with the Gaelic Woodland Project. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about or introduce yourself and what it was maybe that brought you to want to set up that charity? Yeah, just just to go back to the little little story there, yeah. that moment was uh, it was it was like a vision that things were clicking together. The fact that brothers were climbing, the brothers Noonan were climbing the four peaks the same weekend as the brothers Connington, uh, two isolated groups, the same vision. Um, I, it's a, it's it's crazy. We didn't bump into each other on the walk, but once I heard about you, uh, you both the family really wanted to connect, and uh, I, I feel like this is an example of ideas having people. The people are resonating with the same calling, and yeah, I suppose that's kind of like what the Gilly Woodland Project. That's kind of like what I wanted to be—a place for people to come together to work together, that feel the call to stewardship. And it's very encouraging, you know, seeing people coming out of all different shapes and sizes, like all different skills and visions, uh, feeling this rewilding that we need to plant more trees. We need to restore our habitat. It's an exciting time. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. And in regards to your own journey, what was it that led you to get such a Because I... One of the most um, thing, thing that strikes me the most about you is your passion for this, like this never ending enthusiasm. Do you know, it's like, do you, you know what I mean? It's like mm. this, it's, it's very inspiring, man, because I don't see many people with that passion for anything. So what was it that lit that fire inside you to do this? It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough to say. Um, it's been a journey. I think the first time I wrote down the idea, I was 16. Oh. Uh, it wasn't nearly as complicated as it is now. It was just, you know, like one of those things, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to have a forest. But at that point, I, I didn't even have that love of nature. I just felt like, you know, this is actually a really good idea. Uh, but it was in 2018, I was in Canada. I was teaching in a forest school in Northern Ontario, uh, near Algonquin National Park. These uh, forests have been untouched for about 140 years. The white pine were up to 80 meters in height. There was layers of life and it was the first time I had ever actually seen it. And I was 30, <laughs> I was 30 years old. And I was there as winter uh, changed and moved into spring and the snow melted away. And then you were left with this crush brash from the previous season. And then life and ferns came up through that. And to me, being there day by day and witnessing the, the fiddleheads unfurl, 
uh, it was like a revelation. It was like being reborn um, in a way. Um, but the real moment was the mushrooms. The real moment. <laughs> it always comes back to the mushrooms. <laughs> Classic answer, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I remember there was a teacher. We were teaching kids. Uh, we were doing English and poetry in the woods. Mm. And um, so the idea was to educate them and to help them. But it was really a, a huge lesson for me. There was another teacher there and she picked up a mushroom and she said, this is, uh, this is the genitalia of 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 the fungi and all the kids obviously ah what are you talking about and then she explained the mycelium network and how the fungi work beneath the soil and everything all the plants are connected and that just blew my mind so i decided to come home and uh, try and make it for ireland because uh well actually the kind of the push came from a medicine ceremony and the message came in that this needs to be done and since it's kind of just been woven with my purpose and that's why I'm here and uh it's it's yeah it's a journey <laughs> it's a journey but I'm dead set on it I see no greater way see no greater way of living than in service to posterity and uh, it's what Seneca said only those who live well can die happy and uh you know I, I feel like this is good. Like if something happened next week, I'm like, you know, I'm floating. If I'm floating in the in the in the ether, if I'm up in and all things, I'm like, you know, that was a good life. You 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 tried, and I think that's just what we need to do is just try and just prepare to be surprised by what we can achieve. Mm, I like the way you put that as well. It's like it's not necessarily achieving that vision. That's the most important part. It's just the fact that we try, like we start and we. If we do, if we don't make it, at least you'd be like, ah, I've, I tried and I lived a good life doing it. So that's something for me, which at the moment I'm kind of really trying to work with is just being happy in the process, which is something I preach to other people. But geez, that's probably why I keep talking about it, because I struggle with it myself. Um, I set this big vision and for like for us with Wolf Academy and it can be overwhelming at times. And it's like. You're always waiting to get there but then as daryl said to me yesterday it's like there is nowhere to get there and i know that but i i've struggled to live that like um i actually did a mushroom journey last night like myself <laughs> and uh came very clear it was like they were just telling me it's like you're already there just enjoy the journey and so it's like you don't need to save the world you know and it's like and I actually, Jesus came in at one point and I was talking to Jesus and I was like, <laughs> didn't think this was going to come up here. But, uh, and he was like, I was like, Jesus didn't even save, try to save the world. He just fucking hung around with his 12 apostles and, you know, he helped people on the way um, who were sick, but he didn't, you know, he didn't think I'm going to set up a school, go around the world and preach about me. Other people talk, talked about him, but he didn't, you know, try to save the world. He just was a human and he helped people when he came across them and he tried to live up to his values and mm. forgive people and show compassion and i was like that's all you have to do so for me what you were saying there just to try you know be a better person and do something good for the world that's more than enough um, but for me at the minute it's just allowing myself to actually enjoy the whole process to enjoy my life and not get bogged down in the like achievement of the mission so I think it's that that fine balance, yeah. 
what a, what a beautiful realization mm. like jesus didn't try to save the world he just he had he had his nucleus he had his lessons he had his teachings he, i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves mm. yeah most definitely we really do and the guy resonate with what Cormac was saying there even recently i was it was a different it was a very deep type of meditation i was doing and I, I came up to that area around my neck and my shoulders and my throat and all of a sudden there was all this weight on my shoulders and I nearly felt like I needed to lie down and it was I just started something clicked with me I was like hold on maybe this is pressure that you're putting on yourself so I started thinking of different things that I was putting these um this pressure on myself with 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 achieving these and I was like consciously letting them go and straight away the, the weight on my shoulders was getting lighter and until I just said hold on I don't need to go piece by piece here I'll be here all fucking day so I was like just let all the pressure off and all the weight left my shoulders it was my body was so quick at that moment in that meditative state to be giving me these lessons you know because even then I was trying to remember I was going through the different energy centers and I was trying to remember then it's like oh shit what was the first one what was the first one straight away the weight came back it was like that you're putting pressure on yourself again you'll remember what you need to remember. Mm. And I was like, all the pressure we feel with anything, with people in their jobs, with our families, whatever it is, we all think that that pressure is external, like, oh, there's so much pressure with it. But no, you put that pressure on. The task is there, but all the pressure replied is by you. Even if it's coming from someone else, you don't have to take it on in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you can still just let it go with the flow instead of putting all these deadlines and barriers and everything up there on yourself mm. but just to get back to you owen um the how important with this forest i just want to talk about the forest for a little bit um there's plenty of things i want to talk about but the how important do you feel it is for us as an as a nation as as a people to create this native woodland because if, correct me if i'm wrong there's less than two percent native woodland left in ireland yes that's it yeah and like no matter what like i think i've had a realization that very un unconsciously that has to affect us unconsciously the fact that a lot of our forests again correct me if i'm wrong maybe 70 percent are non-native mm -hmm. um that must affect the land the soil and if that's if we're living on that and like we are connected to all that and we're living on this land and it's being smothered by invasive species and different things that has to be affecting how how we are you know our health even and our imagination mm. our creativity mm -hmm. yeah I, I i i that's that's the thing that clicked with me that i was 30 years old before i saw it was a boreal forest so there was like na native pines there there was cedar there was birch there was a whispering aspen i think it's called um, there was a whole plethora of life there and I had never seen it before. I had been out hiking loads. I've been up to the Wicklow Mountains. I've been around Ireland, but I'd always, I didn't realize at the time I was in a monoculture plantation. I was walking and it was the same tree again and again. And if you don't know, you don't know. If you're not exposed to that, if you, if you can't observe it, then you can't engage with it. You don't know the difference. I didn't know the difference. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that's, the the scarification of the landscape um is like the manifestation of our social trauma 
of our ancestral trauma. It's written on the land. And that's, I, I think, the beauty and the, the real value in this is that we can heal the wounds of history, not only on the land, but within our, within our own psyche, uh, within our whatever kind of pride in our home. I think we need to take care of this land. I think it's our responsibility because this land takes care of us. We were nothing without the land and we've taken so much and so much has been taken uh, generationally. Uh, and we live in such abundance now, really, it should be us that begin a, a process where it's, we start to sow the seeds of a culture. So not just in individual actions, but a culture of empowerment and of stewardship where we can come together for these things. Aren't we looking for community? And you've come out, you've done the work with the, the cherry laurel. It's nourishing on so many different levels. And um, so... Yeah, I think I think the forest is, is very important going back to your question because it's going to demonstrate it's a huge it's a huge float it's like look what we have done when we get this and we do this and this this is this is a forest taken this is land agricultural land that's been returned to nature it's been given to the people it's been restored it's um, hopefully going to trigger more work like that more reclamation of the land more creation of community woodlands yeah yeah, I think I think it will because it's like a lot of things. A lot of people would love to see it happen, but the thought of starting a process to get there is very overwhelming. So that's why it's great to have someone like yourself who will do that because when people see something like that actually come to life and, and it's like, fuck, that's real. Like he, The guys did that, or Owen did that, the Gaelic Woodland Project did that. It that I think that'll set off a spark in in people, you know, and mm. that's why I think it's time throughout history. You just need those select few that get like what you got that passion or that fire to start this, mm. and then the the ripple effect of that could be absolutely phenomenal for the for the country itself, you know. And yeah, you know, I think because um, I remember yeah, we went on a. The walk and the Wicklow Way, we might get back to that. Yeah, but uh, come that's to where that. we met originally. <laughs> but uh, we can't skip that, but we'll come back. No. But um, <laughs> I suppose I met you there. That was the first real time. We actually stayed in our house the night before. Um, and I obviously got to know you on that. And then when it came to the, it was just during the summer there, I was getting the same calling as Daryl, but like separately, I was just getting this call to do something with the land. And I actually, was at a like I found this cool cairn um just down some random field um and I just kind of put my hands down on the cairn and was just like what do you want me to do for the land and it just showed me the cherry laurel it was just like it just showed the cherry laurel I'm burning I was like just cut down the, <laughs> I'm cut that out. <laughs> just cut down the cherry laurel um so I contacted you and I but from having met you already I kind of just knew that as Daryl said you had that passion and also leadership um where I was like fully confident in what you were doing because you were you knew what you were doing and I was just like I messaged you saying I want to you know help with the cherry laurel just you know tell me what to do and I'll do it kind of which was um very freeing for me because I suppose what we do a lot of the time I'd be kind of trying to come up with the plan so it's nice to actually just you know you are the expert here as Dara said and you can you know guide us in what to do and we're kind of like the soldiers that just come in and do it um and especially with our, our samurai swords that we have <laughs> makes me feel like a, a soldier for the land. So yeah, it's a real, um, 
privilege to actually be able to to do this work under like your guidance as well because like you know i think the first day we went in just kind of hacking at the trees and we needed to take a step back and really think about what we were doing before we went in so it's good to have you know you as that leader there with that passion and um, because people will follow that just just one thing there for anyone that's listening what we're talking about here mm. is cutting down the cherry laurel which maybe owen you might want to explain what it is and why we're doing it yes so uh, cherry laurel was introduced to ireland in uh, 1690 as an uh, ornamental plant for english landscaping gardening it has uh, its impermeable barrier of evergreen leaves um so these got things got into the wild they took off here they're from turkey but here no, no uh, plants uh, graze upon it the leaves are slightly toxic uh, it's evergreen and it will just keep on growing until it just blankets uh, the forest floor and these things have been growing uh, quietly around the island uh, for a long time and isolated removing efforts aren't working uh, so let's say in hazelwood forest which is an ancient woodland inspiration for wb yates beautiful place out in sligo um they're spending 200,000 euro removing 30 acres of cherry laurel but that's one infestation. They don't have any plan for the Massey Estate in South Dublin. They don't have any plan for the Glen of the Downs. And if you go out to a native woodland, you're going to find this plant. It thrives in our woodland soils. Um, so I started researching this um, about a year ago, and I realized that nobody was doing anything about this. Um, but in time, I realized there are actually people doing things about this. There are community groups around the country that are trying to remove it, but we wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of that. So uh, wrote up a plan for a non-mechanized approach to removing it and to try and use the, uh, the biomass as a biofuel, as an alternative to peat. So we've been speaking with the Irish Bioenergy Association about uh, getting the woods certified. Uh, laurel logs. So what we can do is just clear away this invasive species and use it to heat people's homes. And in the last few weeks, we've gotten a grant from the local authorities water program. We've got some awesome Imperial Japan samurai saws, silky blades that go through the wood beautifully. We've got handheld chainsaws and uh, we've just got a bow saw, a five foot bow saw. Where did you get and it? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's right here beside me. <laughs> so uh, things are progressing. Um, we're clearing away cherry laurel from the um, Klein Manor estate in Meath. It's a special area of conservation. And my brothers, uh, both of you, and we've been working hard out and there. And Santiago. Santiago, don't forget Santiago. Santiago, Santiago uh, our resident bard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's working really well. I, I think if, for me, just doing the research, it's beyond expectation how much we're clearing. The first day, uh, you remember the first day we cleared an area, we had to stop because we were shocking ourselves with how much we were actually clearing away. We were trying to test the equipment, but we ended up clearing away a huge area of cherry laurel. Um, so that's happening, that's ongoing right now. Yeah, and uh, one of the most profound moments for me that for, I think I said it to you is on the day, that first day was, there was just this one particular branch I cut and all this light, the sun was out and all this, I don't even know actually, it was just if it was the sun was out, but all this light just poured in and hit the forest floor. And I was like, fuck, that is most likely the first time in maybe 15 years 
that that floor has seen or felt the sunlight. And that's when I was like, there's, some, there's something big in this, you know, and just to see that light come back in, it's sometimes I suppose you don't, it's something that you don't notice until you see it and then you can't unsee it, but it's very, and it's not the Cherry Laurel's fault. Like we're not demonizing the Cherry Laurel, it just, it's not suited to this place. And But once you do see it, there is a sinister feeling about it, just the way it creeps and mm. and smothers and, crawls and reroutes and like it's tenacious and it's like respect to it in that way you know um so we are trying to cut this down with respect to it's not just hacking it all down even your brother dara was playing a, f- an, a song on the flute the low well, whistle the blow whistle when we the were the low, with him there. The low whistle slightly the low. lower than your tin oh, whistle the low whistle sorry <laughs> 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 but it, it, it's um it's an incredible feeling and it's because you're doing something for something more than yourself. Mm. Like, I think that's why it's so powerful and so rewarding because you're doing something yeah, for something greater than your, your own personal self. Mm. And I think if people can find something like that, it doesn't have to be cutting down cherry laurel, but something where they're, they're putting a bit of their energy into something greater than themselves. That's benefiting people and the land or whatever it is. It gives you a great sense of meaning and and a great sense of purpose and just again benefits your overall health and wellness, you know. And yeah, because remember we were saying after that first day, we actually had great crack doing it as well. Like because we're all there working together, a bunch of men with like my samurai saw. I was happy out, and then like you're getting a bit of exercise, you're getting out in the trees, you know, the fresh air, nature, um. And as Dara said, that feeling of like doing something beyond yourself is like, I think it's hard to replace that with any other thing because when you're so focused on yourself at times, you're just, you know, you're in this little rabbit hole trying to get out of your head when you just go into nature and do something good for the land, even if it's picking up litter. Mm. We did that there a while ago at the Boyne as well. Like it just gives you that sense of like, ah, you know, I'm doing something useful with my life, I suppose, and just giving back and just there's an innate feeling of joy within that too. And doing with, with people like in community is beautiful. So yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to getting back out there. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it's like not even about the trying to maybe set that target like we were talking about mm. earlier of getting rid of every single bit of it. It's just being in the process of doing it, do you know? Mm. Um, I I most definitely feel that like the the forest is just breeding that little bit better, a little bit better, you mm-hmm. know, and then that's m- more than likely or most definitely helping the people that are living on the land and the animals and the birds and everything, you know. So it's just benefiting, it's just benefiting everything. Lads, uh, your your sentiments resonate with me completely. Um... I think it's, it's, it's powerful work. <laughs> mm. Um, and also just to like, there's so many ways that you can view this, uh, this work, uh, the metals that we're, we've been doing and that we'll continue to do and continue to spread. But ultimately we're saving the forest as well, because those tr- shrubs are preventing any plant, uh, any new saplings from growing. So given time when the larger trees, if they fall down, there's nothing to replace them. So the, the, the cherry laurel is currently not registered as an invasive species. 
So in my research, I, I've been trying to speak to uh, the Oireachtas, uh, the Department of Agriculture, the National uh, Parks and Wildlife Service, the, Iowa, the Irish Biodiversity Data Centre. All are in all are in agreement that cherry laurel is an invasive species, but it's not on the list, and they don't have the funding to do the national risk assessment. So um, it's we're, we're kind of out here. It's an opportunity for something miraculous, I think in this situation this is the place for something remarkable to happen um, and it's just taking upon that responsibility of just choosing to show up and go out there what i love about it is you just need to show up and do the work it's mm. like, mm. like i think talking talking is um is an art form of the day um but to actually physically get out and to be with people and to share in um to share in a, a, a task together in any way, to clearing the laurel, cleaning the boin, whatever it may be. I think we're starved for that kind of connection. It's so authentic, it's so real. Yeah. And yeah. Because I think there's this like, I don't know, it's like a pseudo feeling that you're helping by sharing stuff on Instagram, which is fine. You know, maybe it is inspiring someone, but it makes you feel like maybe you're doing enough because you're sharing a few posts or something, or I don't know. And I do share stuff myself, but when you, as you said, when you actually get out there and you're doing real work, you see the results, you're like, this feels right. Like, you know, I'm actually, I'm making a difference here. So I think if more people could feel that, that real difference that they're making, I think that's a huge thing. Let's get back to the Wicklow way. Definitely mm. want to touch on that. So there was actually a guy in the gym triggered this thought to me. His name was Craig. Um, and he triggered this of doing a, another challenge. This was after we had done the Four Peaks. And the Wicklow Way came up. And then we talked about doing half the Wicklow Way. And then Cormac said, why don't we do the full Wicklow Way? <laughs> Ended up we were going to try to do the full Wicklow uh, Way. I regret that part. <laughs> the full you, Wicklow yeah. Way, which is about 130 kilometers, give or take. 126 maybe. Um, normally takes 7 to 10 days. And we decided to try and do it in 30 hours. And I think it could have been... Santiago can't remember fully now I was trying to think who we raised the money for maybe it was myself actually and I was like the Gaelic Woodland Project because this was not long after you had come up on on the radar and I reached out to you I remember listening to the first voice that you sent back I was in a car park in Stepside don't know why I remember that so well listening to it there but <laughs> the, uh, and yeah and it went from there we decided to raise money for the Gaelic Woodland Project and attempt the walk there was 10 of us um set out and that was i don't even know what word that describes that experience it was much deeper than i ever could have imagined having to push through so many demons within yourself even and uh, different thoughts coming up it was like it was just a hell of a journey mm. with the with the physical pain the, the absolute physical pain of of walking for that long and through the night through the darkness all the stuff that was coming in and battling with yourself then to keep going or to stop or what right or wrong or the lack of sleep you know um there's just so many factors that came into it and but i think that made made it what it was i suppose um what was your what was your take on on that walk 
as you were talking, I just I had this, this smile. I was just remembered when we were uh, day one when the first son, um, we were, uh, I think Connor started to like pathfind. He he had the map out and he was yes. like, "We can cut through these fields, go through this hedge, uh, over that ditch, through that field, and we'll we'll maybe save like ten minutes." <laughs> we started to do it and it really felt kind of like um like a leaving of the shire kind of vibe that was yeah, like yeah, yeah massively yeah there was how many 10 10 10 10 of us it really lovely the people that came out everyone just uh made me feel like boyish and bouncing it it was such high energy it was beautiful the first day flew by the first day yeah. flew by and we saw a red kite for the first time i saw a red kite and uh, that bull that dominated the path and we all mm. had to like humbly respect and then we had we all had to move around uh going through glendalock at night like for for me the um the journey was was full of joy and um, because of all the people coming together mm and sharing in that together um yeah it was it was super it was super good for my spirit i think um but i sure i didn't i couldn't finish it i couldn't finish it as well i i had to i had such high hopes for the power of saint kevin to heal my feet at glendalock yeah. i had this terrible nerve pain coming up through my left foot and i was like if i can't get rid of this pain i can't finish this walk that, that's what I, I kind of said to myself. I really wanted to go. I was like, no, I'll, I'll, you'll hurt yourself if you keep going. So mm. I put my feet into the waters of uh, Glendalough. Didn't fix, didn't fix, but it was good relief. And then I watched, I watched you guys set off into the night. Mm. It was inspiring. And uh, the next day, we met up outside someone's driveway and we had mosses and we were binding up your feet and you took off your bags and you lighten the load and you're like, no, we're going to go for it absolute admiration if it resonates with me like a story of like tom crean or something like there's so many parts of the psyche that will say stop break mm. you just... but there was something that kept you going and honestly it's it stuck with me yeah <clears throat> for me it was as you said at the start it was quite joyful the first checkpoint to get four checkpoints along the way i think um first one was grand it took us five or six hours <coughs> but i think that second stint was the worst like to get to halfway the halfway point i was like i was like that was the hardest thing i'd ever done up to that point like it made the four peaks feel like a walk in the park mm. and i was like Absolutely. i was actually crying like as I walked, because I was like, Cormac, you're not going to be able to do this. It's like, you're not even halfway and you're done. Um, but I was trying to convince my mind, as you said, like the mind, I was like, no, I can do this. You know, the mindset, like, I was like, yeah, I have a pretty good mindset. I'd like to think, you know, I'd be pretty stubborn and all that. Um, but my mind was, uh, mind was just like, as much as I tried to convince that I could do it, there was no way I could believe myself. So I had to just surrender to the fact that okay maybe i can't do this and i started crying as i walked and i was like i can't believe i'm gonna fail this challenge that we said we do but then i just said i'll just get to the next checkpoint that's all i'll just keep going as long as i can and then when i get to the next checkpoint i'll stop like i had made a i had to commit to myself that i'd stop but part of me deep down knew that maybe i keep going um 
So then when I got to that checkpoint, I was like, I'll keep going a little bit more. And that was the only way I could, there was two more checkpoints, but I was done before halfway. And I think it was like, for me, it was, it felt like a real spiritual experience. I was like, it was tapping into my soul. It was, it was like, you have to go beyond what you've gone before. Um, there was something driving me. And I think I'd have to say it was like the soul piece because the mind was gone. Like the mind had given up. Um, and the body obviously was absolutely nuts. Um, and yeah, and then coming up to the last, it was probably the longest night of my life as well. It was dark for, I don't yeah. know how many hours. Ne- well, it was, it was December. December. This was the start of December we decided to do yeah. this. But I remember coming, I think it was the last like 30 or 40 minutes. It felt like forever. And I was, I was walking down the fucking like the road in Dublin city, like, um, like bawling, crying. And there was like cars and I wasn't really walking. I was fucking hobbling down with my two poles to keep me supported. And like, just crying in pain like my feet were just gone and it's like the middle of the day i said people were like what the hell is this fella doing um and i actually realized i was like you don't need to do this again it's like you're putting your body under such um torture almost like i think it was important at the moment but i was like yeah it was probably one of the hardest things i've ever done and i'm like i don't think you need to do that to yourself so that was that was my trip um but I suppose it was so amazing, so many learnings as well. Mm. But um, and also gave me that sense of knowing that you can achieve things you didn't think are possible, which, which is also I suppose kind of sticks with me too. It's just mm. like just stick it out, and you never know what will happen. So yeah, it was a, a beautiful experience, and it was it was such a I suppose spending that time with you in that I think it really brings out people's character, you know. You're gonna fucking see the worst of them. So it was a great way to get to know each other, I suppose. Um and it was Santiago needs to get mentioned as well for that the great work he did and the girls as well. Um to help us support us on the way. So we needed that support or we wouldn't would have never made it. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, actually, it, it does deserve a mention that uh, Sarah and Emily and the Fairy Council providing soup at the checkpoints like yeah. that was one thing when i um when i when i stepped out i, st- I stuck around with that uh with a portable uh portable but wagon of support um and i realized there was two things happening at the same time and there was the support there was the consideration and then there was that effort that you both Put put you both you both uh, you're both going through the pain, the physical, so, the mental pain, but the spirit carrying you on. It's just it showed to me working together in cooperation, we can do more because there's no way we would have been able to do that without having that support. No mm, way. Not a chance. Yes, and actually, yeah, the the last leg, I or even could have been the second last one. I was like, I'm not going on. Um, unless someone else goes on like I was done like you know so only for someone else being there I wouldn't have done it either so it's like you know because Daryl and Marty and Stefan said they were going I was like well I'm going (laughs) that's just yeah it just shows like you can't you can only go so far on your own yeah Mm. yeah you just like even like it was five legs in that wasn't it yeah Mm. four checkpoints five legs and the middle leg after like it was after a lot of that long the long night um 
my legs were gone. I was in so much pain. So I actually stopped. I missed the middle leg. I sat in the van. My feet were just gone. And that was a huge thing for me because I can't remember Cormac looking at me when I said I'm not going on. I remember Cormac looking at me and saying, nah, don't look at me. <laughs> don't look at me. That's such but, a moment in the van. Yeah. And I was like, I would normally force myself into them things. I was like, Dara, there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Just accept that you're done, do you know? And then we got to the next checkpoint. It was still the middle of the night. News guys were arriving. And as soon as I seen news, I was like, nah, fuck this, boots back on. Mm. So I did four out of five. I missed the middle leg. But that was like, that was the whole team thing. It was, that was where your feet were fucked. And you came back in the van and mm. I went back out. Yeah. So there was still four of us. You know, it was only four out of 10 finished. It was... Like, and there's no fuck, no shame in stopping in that whatsoever. Yes. And that was a big lesson for me because I would normally have let that, like in that moment where I didn't go on. But one, I normally wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have listened to my body in that way. But two, if I had have done it, I would have beaten myself up over it. Big time, do you know? Big time. And I was like, this isn't about me. It's not about mm. me, do you know? Um, so that was a, a very good lesson. Like the, le- the amount of lessons you can take from something like that. Mm. But the whole like um, swapping of the person, it just felt like, and then the fact that I had had a few hours break, um, that benefited the other lads. Then, mm. yeah, it gave me a boost when you gave the other lads well. a boost. So it all just happened in such a synchronized way. It was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience, and and doing it for such a good, a good cause. Um, and that's the other thing. It's like probably one of the. Well, definitely the toughest thing I've ever done, but like, yeah. and at times probably the bleakest and the most pain I've been in. But at the same time, as I said to Stefan, it's like, when you look back now, you just feel such, just like a joy from having come through that. So it's, it's just, it's hard to appreciate that in those moments of pain, but you just know on the other side, like it's, you're going to look back on this and be like, fuck, I got through that. You know, like what, what else can I do? So Yeah. Yeah. yeah some great brilliant experience for some great lessons in there that mm. can be taken um what you're saying about putting the pressure on yourself the expectation that i have to do this because i said i was going to do it as opposed to like listening to your body you needed to rest and you, you did and you were able to do that i think that that uh, that, that that to me is like such a show of strength to know and like control that okay right now i need to rest myself because that kind of cyclical way of living that that allows us to sustain ourselves yeah. uh, i think in our society now i know for myself for a long time go 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 but you need to stop and you need to rest as well and uh, Cormac, what you were saying about the mind being absolutely wiped <laughs> but mm. there's something within something the spirit's like okay keep on going it's like those two and finding the balance and connecting yeah. with those two and deciding what's best for you. I, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a part of growing up. I think the big difference between me now and me say 10 years ago is re- realizing those aspects of myself. Mm. That's the thing. It is like, it's kind of two opposite lessons in a way, but that it's just knowing what the right thing is at that time. Like sometimes, you do need to just keep going for the mission and sometimes you do need to take a break so you can come back stronger so it's kind of knowing when's right um and i i struggle with that myself when like i'd be go 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 so i'm really 
trying to work less and give more self time to myself, you know, so it's, it's just a constant balance of the two. So that's the, that's the joy of the journey. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't think certain else. What else we want to talk about? <laughs> um, what were you actually doing in your time in Canada? You were doing the forest school. We do like how long were you there? Because I was funny enough. I went to Canada to, you know, discover more about myself and discover what I wanted to do. And I, when I was away, that gave me the time to really, you know, look back. I found myself looking back at Ireland very objectively because you're physically distant from the place. So you can actually look at it from a physical mm. distance and see it. And it seems much smaller when you're in Canada and you think, Jesus, I could do all this in Ireland. Um, and then when you get back, you kind of get into the, it's like looking at the forest from the distance and get into the woods. You kind of get a bit lost, but that's why you need to take time to look at it um, as a whole. But for me, I was just like, you know, the whole Wolf Academy mission came when I was away in Canada. I was like, I need to go back and help young people like, you know, learn from the mistakes I've made and, you know, other people who have gone through shit and teach them some tools that we never had when we were in school. So that was, you know, I felt a strong call to go back and do that. And you sounded very similar. You went to Canada, felt the call, came back. Um, so kind of like, what did you do over there? Like, was there any other discoveries on that journey? And, and also the how do you think people find that call or does it come when the time is right or do you have to look for it oh great question um it's maybe there's some magic up in the canadian uh you were up in the wilderness weren't you you were in the forest as well yeah it was all around i was in the west coast i traveled all across canada so i did a bit of time i did a 30-day cycle which i was you know going through the different parts of canada yeah, yeah. I, I think these lessons come when you get out there um like for me, what I was doing, uh, I, I, I was just traveling the world for a few years. I just I had no long term vision. Uh, I just wanted to be in different places and experience different cultures and experiment with different ways of living. So um, I did loads of different things. I worked in media. I was a teacher. I was a tour guide. Uh, whatever I could get my hands, whatever paid the bills and could keep me going. Mm. Uh, that's that, that, and then I ended up in Canada. So I was teaching in a forest school uh, up in um, Northern Ontario. We would take kids from inner city Toronto out four or five hours on a bus into the forest. We said uh, there was no Wi-Fi, so they were all disconnected. And uh, so then we had perfect, perfect conditions to reconnect. And uh, so the kids would arrive and they'd be very upset, kind of bit of attitude. Maybe they didn't want to be here, that they would rather spend their holidays with their friends in Toronto but here they were in the sticks um, but by the end of it uh, we'd go hiking we used to go on three-day kayaking trips down the Madawaska River so we did whitewater rafting and then we for a day and we'd set up camp and then we'd go another day set up camp and then uh, get a bus back to the start so that's that's what we were doing and um, great adventure um, but for me just being in nature it really felt like it was a time of processing all the lessons that i had learned over a number of years mm. to be in that forest just for such a prolonged period of time like i'd wake up i was living in a van there so i'd open up and the door and i'd be in, in a forest or i'd be by a river uh, the nearest town 
<laughs> the nearest town, it was just a few houses. And then the next town was about an hour and a half away. Um, and yeah, I real so essentially long, long story short, I realized that I need to ground myself somewhere. I need to get somewhere and I need to get my, my roots into the ground. Mm. There was an opportunity to live over there in Canada. Um, and it could have been a really good life, but there was something like, no, I got to go home. Like you were saying, Ireland looks so small when you're away, when you're outside looking in, we have this small Island. There's not too many people. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of potential and it is the perfect place to make something really remarkable happen because we've only got 2% native forestry and um, we have the lowest forestry cover in Europe. We're 11% with the Netherlands, right? But our forestry is actually going down. We're like 10.2, 10.3% now. And 70% of what we do have is non-native. Uh, the land has been totally terraformed. More land is used here for agriculture than is used in any other country in Europe, a percentage of land mass. And that's because we were an agricultural island for the British Empire. Uh, that our job was to grow food and to send it out. Our job was to make uh, clothes and, and send it out. Um, and that's generationally, we don't even know what we don't, don't have anymore. Um, so that's why I think the work is, Canada was fundamental because Canada showed me that whole place had been felled um, in 1880. And back then a, a full uh, white pine was 120 meters in height. Now they're only 80. It's been 100, 130, 140 years. Uh, it's still not where it was, but so much. Like the amount of life that was there. I'm like, wow, Jesus, this, we could actually make this happen. It's not a long time. It's two generations. It's mm. two, three generations. So we do this work now. Our grandkids can enjoy that. And if we don't do it, it just won't be done. So for, yeah, Canada was like, this is the, here's one I made earlier. That, it was like one of those things. You mm. can make this um take it home wow yeah it's very cool man and, and that's what your um idea for this forest is isn't it it's for the people do you want to explain that a little bit yeah um so it's, we're just gathering donations we're going to buy land we're going to turn that into a forest like a tiered forest so we're going to put as many native species as we can in there, create as much complexity as we possibly can. We're going to restore fungi and bacteria to the soil. And we're going to put nice decorative signage to the fact so people who are walking through the forest can get that uh, understanding of what they're actually walking through. The forest is going to be divided into plots and everyone who donates gets a 21 year license plot. So it's like their family piece, their contribution recognition of their stewardship. They get a piece of it and they can give it to their kids or grandkids, they can renew it, it can be inherited. And that kind of builds um, an extra layer of protection. So if in like 200 years, uh, somebody wants to cut down the forest or change it, they need to get permission of hundreds, thousands of people <laughs> to do it because it's a shared ownership. Um, so that's, for, it's for the people um, and this is only the start we want to get this forest in place there's a lot of land that's owned by uh, by the people uh, but it's in council custodianship so the council owned land is owned by the people uh, for example there's 308 acres of land outside the town of Kells uh, and that's owned by the town and it's currently being used uh, for like uh, grazing they could turn that into a community woodland 
they could they could create something a new amenity for the town by utilizing just a portion of that and this is all around the country especially uh, <laughs> a town should have a place where they can go and sit in the yeah. forest yes. listen to the birds to reconnect and it can be done and we have the resources we have the land there so this is we're doing the work as a people now to show that we're going to do this at the very least the county council should be helping yeah yeah you're dead right man and and like for people to have that sanctuary to go to and the fact that there is these places where that can happen if they even use for example outside of cows that 308 acres if they use a portion of that a fraction of that they could create a woodland you know mm. and i think it's just nobody's aware of that so it's great what you're doing and if anybody was to want to to help out find out more information make a donation whatever it was how would they go about doing that with you uh so i suppose it would be uh, our website gaelicwoodlandproject.com uh you can check out our instagram we're pretty active we have a newsletter we put out about four a year giving everyone a breakdown and um just reach out uh, this it began as an idea um it began as a gofundme uh, we're going to buy land, make a forest. And then a question was asked, who owns the land? So then we had to make a company. <laughs> so then we made a company. And then we're like, but we're not a company. We need to be a charity. So then we became a charity. So over the last few years, it's just evolved <laughs> into a place, a platform uh, for fertile ideas. Sorry, fertile ideas. It's a fertile land. It's a fertile place for your ideas. And uh, we have an opportunity now. Uh, so people can reach out and they can help in any way, Skillshare. Uh, do fundraisers, make content, come out in the forest and help us remove the cherry laurel. When the time comes, we're going to need a lot of hands to fix the rivers and plant the trees. So, yeah, everyone is welcome. Owen, thank you so much. Um, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to getting back out in the woods with our samurai saws soon. Yes, yeah. back to battle. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks again. Thanks very yeah, much, Owen. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.